There's an outline sheet in your worship folder if you'd like to use that as we move through this message. One of my uh, favorite baseball players, and I know today's a, a great day for football, and we're recognizing that in different ways, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite baseball players was Yogi Berra. He was just a great, great uh, player, uh, just an interesting guy. Great uh, player, great Hall of Fame catcher for the Yankees. He died this, uh, this past summer at age 90. I've got a picture of him uh, and Don Larson. Yogi has run out onto the pitcher's mound and is hugging Don Larson, just jumped up into his arms after a great game that Larson pitched. We've got a signed baseball, Yogi Berra. He was uh, just a, an amazing player, but he was also beloved. He was loved for what has become known as his yogiisms. Things like, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. If, if you don't go to other people's funerals, they won't go to yours. You know? he, once, he once ordered an anchovy pizza in Brooklyn, and when the pizza was brought to his table, the waiter asked, Mr. Barra, would you like your pizza cut into four or eight pieces? And he replied, well, son, you better make it four. I don't think I can eat eight. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's amazing. Now, the sixth chapter of John's Gospel that Darwin just read begins with a story of a little Jewish boy who offers Jesus, in a sense, his anchovy pizza. Five little flat barley loaves and two small fish. And that's my jump from yogi to the Gospel. See how I, I'm always thinking, I work that in there. Okay? Jesus takes the loaves and the fishes not, and breaks them not into four or eight pieces, but into thousands thousands of pieces, enough to feed 5,000 men. And beyond that, we know that there were women and children. So it could have been up to 10,000 people. Now, later in the chapter, we see Jesus using this miracle as a way of describing himself with an incredible self-disclosure. But first, we want to put it kind of all into context and see the background. Now, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. A great crowd of people followed him. They saw the miraculous signs he'd performed on the sick. And at that point, Jesus feeds the 5,000. People saw the miraculous sign. They began to say, this is the prophet who's come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew into the hills. And then later in the evening, he went and walked on the water. The disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And at that point, he says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, the Gospel of John, John tells us that the, what's near at this time is the Feast of the Passover. It's taking place down in Jerusalem to the south. It's not just an exciting and important religious festival. It's the supreme celebration of national pride. But during this time of, of reaffirming all their hope of God, delivering and their hope of God delivering them from Roman occupation, what they saw as the perfect political candidate appeared on the scene what they thought, in Jesus. But Jesus read their hearts, knew the kind of leader they were looking for, had nothing to do with the kind of kingdom that he'd come to inaugurate, the kingdom of God. His mission was so much more than earthly bread. And so he begins to let them know that and try to explain that to him. And what he talks to them about is spiritual food that endures. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life that the Son of Man, referring to himself, will give you. 
On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, the, the, word, the word that Jesus uses here for fill, had your fill, is of animals eating to the point that they're just actually stuffed with the grasses of the field. They are full to overflowing almost. They've just stuffed themselves to absolute fullness, had your fill. And what he's saying in that is you're overly interested in having your physical appetites met, and you're missing the real message of my coming to be with you. Now, sure, they'd witnessed the miracle, they'd enjoyed the benefit of it, but they didn't understand. Now, all through John's gospel, every time you read the word sign, the term sign, there's a reason for it. A sign, all through John's gospel, is a miracle meant to point to a spiritual truth, to lead to spiritual understanding and growth. So Jesus is saying the sign was meant to help you see that I am the spiritual bread for your life. I'm the only one who can satisfy the inner spiritual hunger of your soul. But instead of seeing in the bread the sign, they had seen in the sign only bread. So he says that the Father has placed his seal of approval on him. What does that mean? It means that God has authenticated by these miracles that I've come from him. Now look again at the verses that are, that are next. They ask him, what do we need to do to do the work God requires? Jesus said the work of God is this, to believe, to believe in the one he sent. Now, they ignored give, and they pounced on work. The crowd, the crowd wants a free food supply. They want political liberation from the Romans. And their concern is what they can do to help their cause along. And Jesus says, the work of God is this, believe Believe in the one he sent. And they heard the word work and completely misinterpreted it to mean that they had to work for salvation. They were steeped in the legalism of their Jewish religion and they thought they had to do something in order to merit eternal life. But Jesus says that the bread that endures is the bread that's freely given, freely given, that we freely receive. We don't work for our salvation. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. It's a free gift from God, paid for by the Lord Jesus himself on the cross. It's a free gift of God. Now, if you, on your outline sheets, look again at verse 27. Don't miss that little word, give. They're asking, what do I have to do to make God happy? Or what do I have to do in order to get into heaven? Or what do I have to do to make God smile on me? What do I have to do in order to get what I want? All of these are asking the wrong questions. There are the wrong questions then. There are the wrong questions for us today, now. But rather, they're, they're, rather than it's something to do, it's something that desperately needs to be received. So look at what Jesus says. He starts out by saying, believe. Believe in the one he sent. Believe in me. Now, the word here is in the present tense, which means it, it expresses a continuing, ongoing, continuing life of faith. It's not believe once and then forget about it. It's continue to live a life of faith. It's not how we trust. It's in whom we trust. And the realization here is that we want to place our trust in the one who has God's seal of approval. It's not a balance between my work and God's work. 
They ask, what must we do to do the works of, of God, the works of God that he requires? And so we, we just wonder about all that, and we say, well, what's the picture? What's the picture in that? The picture is this, trying to get my life in order, trying and working and striving and doing and wishing that somehow God will send a message that says, hey, you've done enough, it's all right. Or you're on the right track, keep doing what you're doing. You finally are beginning to measure up. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Is that the gospel? Sweating it out and trying like mad to do the best we can and squirming when we fall and squirming when we fail and always wondering if we're good enough but knowing down deep inside that we never will be good enough. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes here. It's by grace that you've been saved, through faith. This is not yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. So Jesus here in John chapter 6, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, they're letting us know that there are no rites or rules or rituals, rituals or regulations that can be developed and practiced on the assumption that we can somehow reach reach out and reach up and appease God, that God requires us to do something, <clears throat> that there's some sort of service that's meant to trade on God's favor. Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, there's food that endures to eternal life, and he gives it to us. It's a work of grace. It's a work of grace. Food that can't be earned, only received. You and I are made right by God by faith. Through faith, Jesus is the one whom God sent into the world to meet our deepest need, the deepest need of every human being ever, ever created, ever, who ever lived, ever living now, or ever will. Jesus came to give us, to give us that gift that will meet the deepest need of every one of us. What God requires of us is that we give up trying to please him in our own effort and instead commit ourselves into the hands of our Savior Jesus. And what this means is that it's a present tense faith. Jesus wants us to recognize that he's present and active in our lives. He is a present tense now, now, and forever Savior. It's not just the hope of heaven someday, but that his power is available now for whatever problem, whatever circumstance or situation that we're dealing with right now. So you think of your life now, the stuff that's going on in your life, the things that are, you're looking toward, you say, I hope not, here's this, here's that, this is what I've come through, here's, here's the situation. Jesus says, believe in the one that he sent. It means that we can know, we can know that we can view any of life's situations from our Lord's perspective, not just our own. What's this mean? They ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. It's written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus is saying, believe. Believe that I know what I'm talking about. Believe what I know that I know what I'm talking about. I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who's given you bread from heaven. It's my Father who gives you true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, well, give us this bread. Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go thirsty. 
whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The people Jesus had been talking with were interested in him and repeated the, the miracle of multiplying loaves and fishes. It was the multiplying and the manipulation that they're interested in. It's amazing that they could overlook the sign that they'd already been given. But they were saying, in effect, look, Jesus, look, we know you did a wonderful thing yesterday. We know that. That was, that was, that was great. That was yesterday. But before we believe in you as the Messiah, we, we want to see something real. And what you did was interesting, but we know that what Moses did in providing the manna, the miraculous bread, in the wilderness for 40 years to all the, the Hebrew people wandering in the wilderness and that miraculous bread was given for all their provision through all that period of time. That went on for 40 years, Jesus. What you did was yesterday, and Moses did it for 40 years, and, and it really doesn't compare. So if you want us to really believe in you, if you can do what Moses did and just kind of feed us again and feed us again and then feed us again, then we'll just, you, you probably will get our attention. And they tried to provoke him. They tried to provoke him into doing something miraculous again. And instead, Jesus sought to provide them with this deeper realization of truth. He's saying, it's not God. or It's, it's, it's not Moses. It was God. It's not Moses. It was God who gave that manna, that miraculous bread. So Take your eyes off Moses and focus them on God. God gave manna in the past, but now he's given you true bread from heaven in my person, in who I am, in the person of Jesus. So Jesus contrasts Moses and this Exodus chapter 16 account of the giving of manna with himself as the bread of life. And he says, I am, I am the bread of life. Now, we don't just want to overlook those two words there, I am. Because in the third century BC, when the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek for those Jews who had been scattered throughout the known world, the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, was actually just consonants, Y-H-W-H, but inserted vowels. Yahweh, I am, that name of God that God told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I am is the one who sends you. That Hebrew name got translated into ego emi, I am. That became, in the Greek, ego emi. Now, just as Yahweh, then, is the one true God, so Jesus is the one true revelation of God, God come to us. And so when he says, I am, it's the very name of God that he's uttering. He himself is God. Is what he's declaring. Jesus says, I am, ego emi, it clearly states, I am the one who makes things happen now and forever. So here's what he's telling us. The Exodus manna met a physical need then. The bread of life meets spiritual needs now and for eternity. The Exodus manna sustained physical life. Jesus imparts eternal life. The Exodus manna was for one nation. The bread of life is for the whole world. The Exodus manna was given at no cost. Jesus' very life is given. The Exodus manna was truly a gift, 
But Jesus is the giver of all gifts, and the greatest gift was the gift of himself on the cross for salvation. The Hebrew word manna literally means what is it? Man knew. And so when they gathered it morning by morning and day by day and month by month and year by year, they were simply asking a question, what is it? They gathered it, and every time they gathered it, they were asking, Manu, what is it? And that was repeated, and that became the name they called it. Manna, what is it? Jesus answers, it is I. The Hebrew word literally means, what is it? Jesus' answer, it is I. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What's that mean? What's he saying? In a, in a, in a single sentence, he links belief and bread and life and himself. And what he's saying is that he is the only one who feeds our deepest, profound hunger. Jesus, Jesus came to save us from everything that distorts life. Anything that distorts life, he came to save us from that. The bread of life that he is sets us free to live fully now and forever. Our scripture this, this morning reminds us that our salvation is not a matter of do, not a matter of trying harder. Our salvation is a matter of understanding what has already been done for us by our Savior Jesus on the cross of Calvary, done for us through him. Our deepest hunger is for intimate companionship and relationship with God. That's just the way we're created, every one of us. Our deepest hunger is for this intimate relationship with God. But the relationship with God has been broken by our sin, our separation from him. It's not just a matter of sins. It's a matter of the relationship being broken by a, a rebellion and a, just a turning away from God. But Jesus came to save us. Even before he was born, they were told, you're to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. What does sin mean? It simply means separation. It means that it, it entails every part of who you and I are. Sin means that my, my reason has gotten warped by my pride. And my heart has become cooled by my own selfishness. And my will has been held captive by my own desire. And so every part of us gets affected by that separation of sin. But everything that can defeat us, that robs us of life as it was meant to be, has been confronted and conquered and defeated at the cross by Jesus. And so what he tells us, not just all those centuries ago, what he tells you and me today is that he is our salvation. The bread of life saves us. But it's more than that. As wonderful as that is, the bread of life satisfies our deepest hunger. One author says it this way, The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, your wildest dreams or ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. If you want to know why you're here, begin with God. What's all this saying? No human being can satisfy my deepest need. No other human being can satisfy my deepest needs or yours. No position, no recognition, 
No achievement, no financial wealth, no security can fill that kind of emptiness. Why else would people who have all these things still have hungry hearts? George Clooney, one of the most popular actors in the world right now, George Clooney, quoted as saying not too long ago, he says, I wake up and feel like I've, I've somehow missed something. Sleep is something I actually have to make myself do. I do not look forward to it, and now you can begin to see the years on my face. You know what was essentially going on with the folks that Jesus is talking with, attempting to teach and reach here in John 6? What they're really only wanting is a miraculous happy meal. (laughs) Problem with a happy meal is that the happy wears off. And as we get older, our happy meals tend to get more expensive. Look at Isaiah. Why spend money on what's not bread, labor on what doesn't satisfy? Listen, eat what's good. Eat what's good. There are times when we have to admit that though we've allowed the bread of life to save us, we've not allowed him to truly satisfy us. Listen, listen to him. Let him satisfy you. With all the stuff that's going on with the stock market, you plug in, you look, and you go, you say, this just ruins my day. No, 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 no. Stock markets are up and down. Jesus is steady. Anything else, up and down. Feelings, relationships, situations, circumstance, things come and go. You can plug in anything in that stuff that says, oh, this is up and now I'm up and happy. Oh, this is down, I'm not so happy anymore. You can plug in anything in those lines. Jesus is the one who holds us steady. He holds us steady. Let him be the source of your true satisfaction. Jesus, bread of life, he also strengthens us. Food, bread, strengthens physical body, Jesus infuses strength into our total life because there are challenges that loom larger than our own meager resources. Is that true? Yes, it's true. There are demands that outweigh your ability to meet them. Is that true? It's true. Are there answers that are above your reach? Yes. Are there problems that are more complex than your own wisdom? Yes. Look at what Isaiah says. Do not fear. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you. What does all this mean for us today? Jesus, the bread of life, embodies these promises. He offers us himself. He doesn't promise us an easy life. That's not one. That's the, but he does promise us his life, his peace, help, insight, strength, through all our difficulties, and through any tough time. He offers salvation from our sin, the satisfying of our deepest needs for joy and peace and hope. And he offers his strength to meet life's daily demands because he's with us every day through it all. All this, all this, and more through what's been done for us Through the grace of Jesus, the bread of life for your life and mine. One of my favorite poems 
is from Annie Johnson Flint. She wrote this. He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And that is the promise of the bread of life for you and me, for the world, now and forever. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, if there are some of us here today who have yet to place our trust, our belief in you, the one whom God has sent, if we've not done that as an act of trusting belief in you as Savior, We want to do that today. And so we make it a very personal prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to believe in you as my Savior. I trust in you for the forgiveness of sin, for all that you've come to be and to do in my life. As the bread of life, you've come to save me from the penalty and the power of sin. Lord, every one of us here needs to ask ourselves if we're trusting in anything or anyone more than our trust is in you. And so for all of life, you continue to be a Savior here and now and forever. And so we thank you that in our weakness, you give strength. And in our turmoil, we find real peace. And in our grief, we gain comfort. In our confusion, we see truth because of you. You giving us the abundant gift of yourself by your grace. And Lord Jesus, we are eternally eternally grateful, and we thank you. In your precious name, amen.